Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica, and today I'm joined by a special guest, my sister. Hi, I'm Elena, and I'm super glad to be on this episode today. Abby is going to be back for our next episode, but due to some technical issues and now her being sick, it just didn't work out for this episode. So part of our Mini Monday series will include episodes surrounding wrongful convictions. Our wrongful convictions will be coming from the Innocence Project website. For those of you that do not know, the Innocence Project is a nonprofit organization that by their definition exonerates the wrongfully convicted through DNA testing and reforms the criminal justice system to prevent future injustices. This organization is widely known for the many cases in which they successfully proved a person's innocence. For each wrongful conviction mini episode, the information we are presenting can be found mostly on innocenceproject.org. A wrongful conviction story this time is about a man named Joseph Abbott. Joseph served 14 years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. This is his story. So grab yourself a strong cup of joe and let's dive on in. Our story starts on May 2nd, 1991, when two teenage sisters were getting ready for school in their home in North Carolina. They noticed that someone had broken into their home through the kitchen window, and both girls were then held at knife point, bound by their hands and feet, and then sexually assaulted over the course of an hour. Afterwards, the perpetrator quickly left the home. Wow, that's a long time for him to stay inside the home. Yeah, an hour is a very long time and it's kind of risky for him to take that much time without getting caught neither of the girls really had the chance to see what the man that attacked them looked like but they told the investigators that the attacker looked like joseph abbott who was a man that had lived in the neighborhood before and he had visited their home both victims identified joseph as the perpetrator through separate photo lineups and so police immediately put their focus on him as the main suspect They did rape kits on the victims and collected as much evidence as they could from the scene of the crime. They did DNA testing on clothing that was found in the home, and the DNA did not match Joseph. But they said that the clothing was not directly linked to the crime, so it didn't rule him out. If the clothes weren't something that was even related to the crime, then I don't understand why they would have tested it in the first place. I kind of think that this is one of the situations where the police were starting from the end so they started with the solution and they were like joseph's got to be the guy that did it so let's see if we can find what evidence makes him fit the crime which is not the way to go you are supposed to take the evidence and see who fits the evidence not how does the evidence fit the man so I think that it was kind of biased from the beginning. All of the other DNA tests that they did were coming back inconclusive. Police issued a warrant for his arrest at this time because they weren't able to connect the DNA to anyone. They were having trouble finding him, though, as he had left the state. They eventually found him in Texas in 1994, where he was being held in jail for bounced check charges. They then transported him to North Carolina so that they could try him for the rapes. In June of 1994, so about four years after the crime, 
Joseph was tried before a jury with both victims testifying that he was the man that had attacked them in their home. Joseph had a strong alibi, though, as he had been at work at the time of the attack. His employer was even able to testify to this alibi on the stand, but because there had been a four-year lapse between the crime and the trial, there was no evidence of a time card that they could provide. The jury had nothing other than the testimony of the victims and some inconclusive DNA testing, but they chose to believe the testimony of the victims and decided that Joseph was guilty of rape, burglary, and kidnapping, and he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences plus an additional 110 years. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. In 1996, Joseph appealed his conviction, but it was upheld and he was left to serve his time in prison. In 2005, Joseph applied to the North Carolina Center on Actual Innocence for help to get out of prison for a crime he was innocent of. They took his case and searched through evidence and sent it in for DNA testing. One thing that set them back was the fact that when Joseph was convicted, police were not required to preserve evidence after someone was convicted of a crime, and so most of the evidence had already been destroyed. The only thing that still existed from this crime was the rape kits, so they sent those in for testing. The first results came back inconclusive, but they weren't giving up then, so they sent them back again, and they excluded Joseph for being the perpetrator. On September 2nd, 2009, Joseph Abbott was officially exonerated after serving 14 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. After being released, Joseph said that he was most excited to spend time with his family and make up lost time. He moved to Winston-Salem to live near his brother after he was released. Unfortunately, in March of 2015, there was a car accident in Winston-Salem and Joseph Abbott was driving on the wrong side of the road and was involved in a head-on collision that ended up being fatal for him. As sad as it is that he did lose his life in 2015, it is one of those cases where we can just be grateful that he was released before he died and that he didn't die in prison. He had these almost six years where he was able to start over and reconnect with his family. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash erica-abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.